listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. So you just heard, and this is the text we're at today, but we are going to Romans 8. We're going to apply the text. But the text is basically that as parents... And I think this extends to grandparents. When I was in college, I remember, I can't remember how many kids, because my generation grew up in rebellion against our parents. I can't remember how many kids I met at Mississippi College Baptist School who had been impacted by their grandparents even more than their parents spiritually. So this really applies to all of us in the room. But the bottom line is, and I want you to listen to me carefully here, the church is not responsible for raising children spiritually. That is a parental responsibility. Now, the church's responsibility is to come alongside, as a grandparent's responsibility is to come alongside, but it's a parental call from God that we just read that we raise our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and that they understand who they are in Christ. Now, generally, and so we're going to knock this together with a weekend, generally, when parents think about raising their children in Christ, they move to certain areas. They talk about sexual intimacy, they talk about marriage, finding the right mate, all these kinds of things, and they'll move into those kind of agendas. Generally, the areas that they think their children are in the most danger of that they might face, and so they generally major in those areas. But thanksgiving, the discipline of gratitude, is a massive discipline that unfortunately we really don't teach our children, and it's one of the fundamental keys to protecting them from the thing that may be the most dangerous thing they face that we don't even address with our children. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, don't let bitterness spring up defiling many. In all my years of pastoring, and I'm sure there have been some that this has worked for, but in all my years of pastoring, I never met a person who was deeply bitter that ever got out of it. It's a hard thing to get out of. And you're generally bitter because you're not grateful. Something's happened in your life you don't like or you didn't control, and so you're bitter. And bitter people are extremely difficult to deal with. My second church, uh, I get a call, and somebody said, listen, EJ, who will not remain nameless, EJ, is really upset with you over Sunday's sermon, and we need to go talk to him. So we drive out to his house, myself, two other guys. So EJ gets off his tractor, he comes over and he asks me the question that I think may be one of the top three dumbest things that a pastor ever gets asked, but you get asked this periodically, and he said, did you mean what you said Sunday morning in your sermon? (laughs) I said, no, I just generally mean first, second, and fourth Sundays, third Sunday, I'm just kidding. I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure I meant what I said. 
He said, well, you're wrong. Now, we were having cottage prayer meetings for a revival, so we were having people pray in the homes. So I encouraged people in my sermon that they should go to the home in their area and pray for the revival coming up. Because you know how we Baptists are. We don't wait for God to bring it. We just tell him when he should. We give him a time frame, and he responds to us. So I told him we need to pray in the home, and he looked at me, and he was red-faced and angry. And he looked at me and he said, we should never pray in our homes. We should only pray in church. And got back on his tractor and drove off. A seminary does not prepare you for that kind of stupidity. (laughs) You don't know what to say. You don't know how to respond to it. But I will tell you that when people get that bitter, they get angry. And they get mad. And the antidote. There's gratitude, and we prepare our kids for marriage and sexual intimacy and all these things. But generally, gratitude is not a thing we drive into them. Now, so we're going to look at that today in Romans 8, okay? Now, there are two bases of gratitude. There are two. You need to be grateful for God in both bases. The first base is gratitude for things that you can lose. Now, you need to be grateful for that. I get that. If you're here today and you've got a nice home, nice car, like a Dodge Ram pickup, something like that. Toyota Camry doesn't count, but a real vehicle. (laughs) If you have some money in the bank, you're healthy. You need to be grateful to God for those things. It's true. But if that's the basis of your gratitude, if you lose some of those things, first thing that pops in is now you're angry at God, you're mad, you're upset, and bitterness is the next response because you have made the the basis of your gratitude to things you can lose. So you thank God for all those things, but you're going to root your thanksgiving, and you're going to teach your children. And as grandparents, we're going to encourage our grandchildren to thank God for the things they have they can't lose. You just saw five young people walk through this baptistry, five young people that now have Romans 8 as a reality in their life that cannot be taken from them. So, Romans 8. I want you to listen to what he writes, beginning in verse 1. Here he goes. Therefore now, there is not even one bit of condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Now, that's yours. You can't lose that. You may lose your health. You may lose your house. You may lose a lot of things, but you can't lose the fact that you are no longer condemned. Now, I guarantee you, these kids that walk through this water, they're going to sin. At some point, they're going to fail. When they do, the enemy's going to whisper to them over and over and over, you are a terrible person. You are not a believer. You're not a Christian. I remember I had a guy in Midland come to Christ. Uh, His wife had prayed for him a long time. He came to Christ at the 830 service. I gave him to one of my guys to disciple so they, it was about two weeks later, they finally met. Wes Noe was his name. Bob Walker was his disciple. And so Bob and Wes met, 
And they went to breakfast, and after a little bit, Wes looked at Bob and he said, I'm not a Christian. Bob said, what are you talking about? I was there when you came to Christ. I was there that Sunday. I was there when you prayed. He said, I've sinned since then. Bob said, well, man, I like sin every day. And Wes was blown away, and he finally looked at Bob and said, I thought that once you became a Christian, you didn't ever sin again. Oh, yeah. It's a gift we have. (laughs) We're going to sin. And the enemy is going to wear you out. One of the worst things as pastor is you could bank on it Sunday morning, you and your wife dealing with the kids were going to fight before you got to church as the pastor. So you'd have to walk in, I can't, hi. <laughs> you had to put the face on because, so we cured it. We bought another car and we took separate cars to church. <laughs> There's things you have to deal with there, but the enemy is going, I guarantee you every Sunday like that, the enemy would say, He just blistered your wife. You have no right to preach in that pulpit. Let me tell you something. He's going to wear you out whispering. You need to understand you are never, ever, ever condemned by Almighty God ever again for eternity. So there's the first thing you're grateful for. You're going to drive into your children. Listen, you met Christ at eight, you have no condemnation. Here's the second thing. Look in verse 4 that the righteous requirements of the law might be filled up in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Second thing is you possess for eternity the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we walk through the first chapter of Ephesians, what did he say? We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. How long? Until the day of redemption. There is no day you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life. That... I think is more critical than we understand. In the Old Testament, David, King David, right? Supposed to be at battle, he's not. Looks down, good-looking lady, brings her up, has relations with her, sends her back home. No big deal. But a month later, she sends a note to him. I'm pregnant. Well, everybody knows her husband's gone. She obviously had an affair. Old Testament law says she's got to be stoned. Who passes judgment on her? The one that slept with her. So he brings her up, or doesn't bring her up yet, but brings her husband in, tries to get him to go home to her. He won't, tries to get him drunk, doesn't work. Finally sends him back to Joab and says, put him on the front line, kill him. So he does. Uriah dies. Then he brings her home, gets everything okay. Now it's his kid, everything's great. Knock on the door one day, Nathan comes in, says, hey, we've got a problem in the kingdom. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, we got a guy, a lot of sheep. And he had some friends come in. There's a family right down the street from him, and they got one little lamb. He took their lamb and killed him for those people. David jumps up emotionally. He says, who is he? Nathan said, it's you. And then David after he repents, pens the 51st Psalm. And makes a couple unique statements in, but here's the thing that's telling that he makes. He says, Lord, don't take 
your Holy Spirit from my life. Now, why was that so pivotal to him? Because he watched Saul have the Holy Spirit removed from him. And when the Holy Spirit was taken from him, Saul just couldn't handle it. And you've got to understand, David went through the same stuff Saul did. He makes a statement in one of the Psalms. He says, in the night, here's his statement, I dissolved my couch with tears. David went through depressed times. He went through dark moments. He went through hard times, and he watched what happened when you didn't have the Holy Spirit, and he did have the Holy Spirit upon him, and he didn't want to go through those things like Saul did. He wanted to go through them like he did. I think we have benefits with the Holy Spirit, and we all face dark times. We all face struggles. We all face hard things. I think we have a benefit in the Holy Spirit we don't even understand. So here's the next really good thing. Holy Spirit's in me, and he's locked down until the day Jesus takes me home. I can't lose him. Then look in, look in verse 6. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. God's best. Philippians 4 says, Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the great beauties is you have a peace that is absolute in your life and will overwhelm anything you face. My dad was very close to his mom. Uh, wasn't very close to his dad. As a matter of fact, when he went off to World War II, his mom walked him down to the train station. His dad didn't. So we were living in Colorado when his mom died. Now, I didn't know this till years later. I was a kid when she died. But we flew home from Colorado to Tennessee, went to the funeral. And Dad told me years later, he said, I, I got in, into the room. And if you've ever dealt with someone you've lost, it hit you at different times. But he said he walked in, and he saw her in the casket, and it just stung him. It overwhelmed him. He said, I couldn't. He had several brothers and sisters. He said, I couldn't talk to them, couldn't share. And so he went back into a room, closed the door, and he read the passage I just quoted to you back to the Father. And he said, God, if you don't do that for me, if you don't let your peace overcome what I'm facing, I will not be able to deal with this. And he told me years later, he said, Chris, it was internal and ineffable, but when I opened that door, I still missed my mother. The grief was still deep. But his peace allowed me to be able to come out, talk to my brothers and sisters, and enjoy the memories of my mom. You have a peace that the enemy cannot take from you. So you're grateful to God for that. Then look in verse 18, verse 15. You've not received the spirit of slavery again that results in fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, this same spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Here's the next thing you have. He cannot take from you. You have an access to the Father 24-7, seven days a week, over 300 every single day of the year. There's no day, no moment, no time. You cannot step into the very presence of God and actually, according to this, hear his voice, breathe in your soul that you belong to the Father. You can't lose that. 
There is no day. Because you have no condemnation. You have the indwelling of the Spirit. You have his peace. There is no day. You don't have access to him. And then he says, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit intercedes in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with unspeakable groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to God. And so we know that to everyone who loves God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Even when I can't pray, he prays on my behalf. If you go into my office, there's a picture of a guy, Bill Height, on my desk. Bill's the hardest funeral that I ever did. I was 29 when I went to Midland. Bill was in his early 50s. We just became extremely close to him and his family. Bill and I ate every Friday uh, at a country club in town and uh, had a seafood buffet. I love seafood, and so we just built this great relationship over about two years. To make a long story short, he encountered some difficulties when he went into a hospital stay and wound up dying. Now, his wife, Faye, had grown up in what really was, I hear this all the time, most of the time it's not true, but she grew up in a verbally abusive home. She was adopted. And so the phone would ring, and she'd go to pick it up, and her parents would say, no, 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 no. That's not your phone. You're adopted. She'd go to get the mail, and they'd say, no, 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 no. That's not your mail. You're adopted. And so they basically just verbally tortured her. But she met Bill. And within a couple of years, his immense kindness, God had used to really heal her. So they had this really deep, rich marriage. So when he died, early 50s, did the funeral. She called me about two days later, and she said, can my daughter and I, and she had two daughters and son, she said, can my daughter Judy and I meet with you tomorrow morning at 6.30? So we met in the office. They both came in, obviously teary-eyed. And they looked at me, and they said, Look, we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, we love Christ, but we don't know what to do because we're so broken. We don't know how to pray anymore. We don't even want to pray anymore. So I read of this verse and said, that's okay. Because the promise from the Father is the times you can't pray, His Holy Spirit takes up the cause. And he prays, and what does it say? That something good will come out because of his prayers. The reason something good always comes out of every difficulty in the life of a believer is because even when you can't pray, the Holy Spirit's praying on your behalf, and that is a promise from God that the enemy cannot undo. And then last thing, look at what it says in verse 38. I'm persuaded that neither death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things about to come, powers, 
nothing high, nothing deep, no other creation is able separate, to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't do anything today to make him love you more. You can't do anything today to make him love you less. So, teach your children about marriage. That's great. But one of the disciplines you've got to drive in your children is to be grateful for the things they can lose and the things they can't. Because these kids that came out of this water are never going to be condemned they're always going to have his love. They're always going to have the prayer of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're always going to have the Holy Spirit in their life. They're always going to have access to the Holy Spirit in their life. And if we can drill that into our children, no matter what they face out here, they can still stand firm in the Jesus Christ they just said they're not ashamed of. And you're never ashamed of a God who gives you all that freely through the cost of his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done for us in your son. It is staggering. It is amazing. The benefits we possess. And so, Father, thank you for that. And just drill it into us in our kids, in our grandkids, so the enemy of bitterness will not overwhelm them, but the joy of gratitude in Christ will control who they are in their marriages, in their homes, in their lives. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.